Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have our friend, uh, PC Gaming Master of Horse for Games Beat, Rowan Kaiser. Major Domo of PC Culture. Okay, got it. I'll remember that for the next time. Uh, and we also welcome uh, Luke Plunkett, contributing editor at Kotaku. Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Uh, so this week we're going to be talking about Black Lab Games' Battlestar Galactica Deadlock, uh, which they published with Slytherin. And uh, Luke, I-, I wanted you on the show because to a degree you-, you were one of the people who brought this to my attention. Like Slytherin PR had reached out and, you know, asked if uh, I want to take a look at it, but I wasn't really... Uh, too curious about it until I saw you writing about it on Kotaku uh, with a bit of an air of surprise that after all this time we had a good Battlestar Galactica game. Uh, so I guess I was, you know, I was, I was hoping you could sort of uh, lead off with what is Battlestar Galactica and uh, what, why, why is it such a surprise? Well, it's a surprise because, like I sort of implied in in the the coverage I did for Kotaku, we haven't really had good Battlestar Galactica games, which, given the nature of the the property, was always kind of surprising that, you know, it's been, what, has it been over 10 years since that show started? Which was, you know, you think that's ample time for somebody to cobble together some kind of official strategy game or Starfighter game or or something that sort of made the, the best use of this license. And nobody ever had. But, you know, me being this complete Battlestar Galactica tragic who had... Very recently, only just actually rewatched um, the series again for the first time since I think it, it actually ended originally. Um, I just felt like giving this game a chance. Um, like you said, Slytherin contacted me about it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah, turn-based strategy. Oh, I'll, I'll give a turn-based strategy game a try." You know, this might be as sort of bargain basement as some of the other Galactica licensed games had been. But, you know, part of my job is just to give these sort of games a try and to see what they're like. And so, yeah, I, I got a, a preview build of the game and wasn't expecting much. You know, Slytherin games, um, I'm a big fan of some of them. Um, I think a common theme across a lot of them, though, is that the production values aren't that great. So coming into a licensed game like Battlestar, I sort of had some concerns about that. Um, fired up this preview build and within about 10 minutes, I was like, man, this is actually you know, this this has some potential. Um, so, yeah, I kind of sat on it for a while and then when the, the sort of final release came out and I could actually play it and try out the campaign and that sort of stuff, um, I guess like the, the same as you two, I was very pleasantly surprised with what I ended up playing. Um, it's a strategy game where it's a it's a turn-based strategy game set in, obviously, space. <laughs> but it's not, it's not a complete... Um, the emphasis is in on complete 3D space, like something like Homeworld. Um, so if you haven't played it, it's sort of just imagine a, a more traditional RTS game where it's on a sort of 2D plane. You can adjust the elevation of the units, but you know everything's just sort of straight and, and flat out for the most part. Um, the key here, though, is that you plan all your turns um, in advance and then you hit a, a giant button and everything plays out simultaneously. So you can sort of, instead of moving a unit and they move a unit and you move a unit and they move a unit, as a more traditional turn-based game, everything's more synchronized in that manner, which... Um, yeah, allows for some cool strategy and also for some cool little cinematic moments, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, where the sort of game comes into, sort of makes the best use of that sort of iconic Battlestar Galactica space imagery of the shaky cam and the missiles flying out and ships exploding and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think the way I've been describing this uh, to some of my friends is that it's a bit like Battlestar Galactica uh, meets Age of Sail meets like yeah, Frozen Synapse. Uh, you know, it's, it's borrowing a lot from a lot of other like naval war games, which in itself, I, I kind of dig, like, uh, I liked Battlefleet Gothic, uh, quite a bit last year, but I, I think to an extent it did not always feel like I was commanding warships in a way that made intuitive sense to me. Like it was very much about, uh, using the special abilities on each ship. Like it was, you know, they're almost like party members, uh, in an RPG, which, which is fine, but it didn't really give you the sense of like what a ship class does exactly. Or like, you know, what, uh, abilities and weight it brings to the battlefield. Uh, here it's a little simplified, uh, you know, compared to a game like Battlefleet Gothic, but also it has that, 
nice. It, it makes that it has that clear hierarchy of uh, you know ship classes and roles and what they do, and it's it really just comes down to how you employ them from there. Uh, so it was it was really a pleasant surprise to uh, sort of see a a sci-fi fleet battle game sort of adopt uh, a lot of the familiar mechanics of you know traditional naval war games. Yeah, especially since it, it, it ties in so nicely. You know, the Age of Sail um, thing is, is spot on with this because it really does feel like it, they've almost borrowed that idea of the, you know, which side are you firing from and which side are you turning your ship to face to emphasize the batteries and broadsides and things like that. But it really does feel at home with Battlestar especially because you associate Battlestar with, you know, you've you've watched the series from the perspective of, of the people in the ship and so you've, you're used to them giving these orders where they need to turn the ship or brace or, or move systems around or repair certain things on the fly. And so, yeah, like where Battlefield, like where Battlefleet Gothic, like you said, is just more of a traditional RTS where you send things to a, a space and have them resolve their battle almost automatically. That sort of next level of individual ship control here um wasn't something i was expecting either but it's turned out to be probably one of the the most enjoyable long-term things about the game where it just gives that extra level of individual control which which gives that extra sort of ability to set these uh, tactics that you might not otherwise be able to do in a game like this rowan uh i sort of pulled you into this late when i sort of was realizing that this was uh you know, an actual proper uh, Battlestar war game in some ways. Uh, so did, did I steer you right? What's, what's been your reaction uh, with this, what you've played so far? So to put on my TV critic hat for a minute. Uh, Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so think about the ending. No, um, one of the really interesting things about Battlestar Galactica as a series is that, you know, it was a sci-fi series um, the channel at a point when sci-fi was not what you would call a respected cable institution at all. And it was extremely ramshackle in a lot of ways, but you couldn't really tell if you were just kind of watching without looking for it. So it has all these like really cramped, really repetitive sets. It's very claustrophobic, but it's a series about being in a really cramped, claustrophobic environment. It basically takes its near-total lack of budget and makes it work somehow. Um, and that's, I think, what's going on with this game that, that ties it in with Battlestar Galactica really nicely, is that in many ways it is a Slytherin type of ramshackle war game, but it has just enough going on uh, with the, using the license and good enough graphics when it, it goes into them and all of these things that it really feels like a Battlestar Galactica game, even though when you, if you take a step back, it looks kind of I don't know, cheap isn't the right word, but you can see the you can sort of see the uh, see the gaps when you sit and think about them but when you're just actually kind of playing it or just watching Battlestar Galactica it seems oh this is a really intense cool space game and that's that's I think a, a very neat trick for them to pull and a good way to use a license uh, that for whatever reason has been relatively dormant and could use a good game like this yeah I think there's there's real story to the, the sort of uh, misuse of the Battlestar license, and I guess you know this. This happens from time to time, right? Like uh, you know, the Game of Thrones license was sort of famously uh, acquired cheaply and maybe uh, not leveraged effectively uh, for the first uh, few years of the uh, of the cable show. Uh, with Battlestar, I I think if maybe uh, PC. Uh, like space flight sims had still been more of a thing in that era, we would have seen something, but it just had the unfortunate timing to arrive at a moment where that entire genre uh, seemed to have basically given up the ghost, right? Like Battlestar Galactica corresponds to uh, PC gaming is dead uh, in terms of like where it lines up uh, on the calendar. Yeah. The, the mid two thousands were very bad for space sims and strategy games that weren't civilization. And uh, I think you can kind of see that in how, I mean, what games even were there with the license other than a few, like, junk mobile games. Well, you see it with the best use of the license is that people will still say that the, the best Battlestar game are those free space mods. 
Yeah, there are mods yeah. for the gay, the space sims yeah, that people the, kept trying to make work because they were the only things around and modded. Yeah, the home, the homeworld mod great. and the free space mod are, are still probably two of the three best Battlestar Galactica games, apart from this one, which is the only actual Battlestar Galactica game. I never did manage to get beyond the red line uh, working. That's the, that's that was the big mod effort, right? Yeah, the, the total conversion of it. Um, yeah, it's very good. But yeah, it's it's still a mod. It's still papering over the cracks. It's not a sort of built from the ground up experience, um, you know, like this is. Yeah, I think the other thing that impressed me with this is that I, I didn't expect it to work as a campaign game uh, as well as it works either. Like, I'd maybe been expecting a linear uh, series of battles with a plot wrapper maybe around each battle. And that's kind of what I I come in expecting, and I was actually sort of pleasantly surprised to see uh, almost an XCOM one uh, style grand campaign where it's all about like you know basically running around the colonies trying to put out little fires and being forced to spread your battle fleet across a wider and wider area uh, to sort of keep the quorum in line. Now, admittedly, the difficulty setting I was playing on seemed pretty forgiving. Like, I was able to let the Cylons do an awful lot of marauding uh, before I really felt like I had to respond and start shutting them down. But nevertheless, it was uh, it was pretty cool to have this feeling of, you know, I can play it safe and conservative and have a few really strong fleets that can take on all comers, but then they're not going to be where the action is. Uh, or I can start having fleets where it's going to be a little more even odds with each engagement, and I'm probably going to take losses, but I'll be super flexible. And I enjoyed that tension that exists in a lot of this game. Uh, one thing that we should uh, point out is that this is a game that is set during the first Cylon War um, you're controlling the colonial fleet against the initial Cylon invasion or whatever. Um, it's not set during the TV show, but in the 20 years before, I think. Right, would have been a very different show. Would have been a very different game. Yeah, uh, if it had just been, if it had been the uh, BFG yeah. series, a, a grand FTL would be a lot of fun. But that is not this. This is a yeah. This is a control the big war with all 12 colonies. You were saying, Luke? Yeah. So the campaign's actually probably the area that I had the most problems with the game um and it's it's also the area where the that slithering jankiness that was brought up earlier probably comes most of the fore where you can see in this campaign that there is you know a lot of work's gone into the design and the and the ideas and the planning behind it and it is a massive surprise to think hey this isn't just a a very capable turn-based strategy game on the tactical side it's got this whole strategic element to it as well but I, i found the the interface especially um, but also a lot of the communication and the layout of the campaign to be a bit lacking. Um, I was playing it on a difficulty, I can't remember the name of it, but I it was very XCOM 2-ish in that I just felt very stressed and very sort of under the pump um, from almost the, the beginning of it. Um, and I, I, I was just constantly wondering, am I playing this wrong? Um, is the is the AI too hard on this level, or is am I just having trouble grasping something, or getting my way around these menus and systems that just aren't very nicely or clearly laid out? I feel like the the systems are there, but the the presentation that they're wrapped in um, could have done with with some work. Yeah, that that was my experience. I played through the tutorial zones and kind of got to the beginning of the campaign, sort of free flowing campaign. Um, and it was just very hard for me to tell like what I was supposed to be doing and where particularly uh, the Cylons come at your your colonies, and if they hang out by your colonies too long, the colonies will stop supporting you. And it was very difficult for me to see kind of what I was losing when the colonies were stopping supporting me, whether I could get them back, and which ones were in danger. Like, they're... they're flags for each of the 12 colonies at the top of your main strategic screen and they sometimes have little icons under them but it never actually like came out and said this icon means you need to deal with this colony right now or you're going to lose them um so you have to kind of go to the economy screen which is a whole sub screen and figure out like which colonies are actually in danger and how much they're giving you and uh this stuff is not readily apparent from the main map in a way that uh 
like uh, Rob mentioned XCOM as the the sort of strategic example and this is this is kind of reverse XCOM like most of the time the XCOM XCOM likes we've talked about have been uh uh had a more similar strategic layer and a different tactical layer um this one is the strategic layer is the part that seems to be the closest and the uh wait that was what i meant the strategic part is the part that I lost my train of thought. Yeah, no, I got you. It's the, normally normally games are copying one thing, and this one copies the other thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The I think the presentation is really slick in some ways, and really clunky in others. Like, I am a sucker for the uh, like three D war room that you're you know sort of walking around the campaign map, and all the interfaces are uh, you know uh, diegetic. Uh, you know, and you're sort of looking at displays that are in the world, and you can step up and get close to them. All that stuff is nifty. Uh, yeah. I really liked it. Where it does get a little bit uh, challenging is that, for one thing, this is an interface that, you know, why do one mouse click when three or four uh, could could do? Yeah. Um, there's a lot, and, and to be to be fair, like. Once you do sort of learn its quirks, it's at least reliable, and it's actually really tough to make a misclick in the system since there's multiple layers uh, to to everything you do and multiple confirmations. Uh, But it doesn't do a great job of explaining some of the dynamics. Like, for instance, one of the reasons that you have to, that you're incentivized to have multiple small fleets rather than a couple giant fleets is that. Uh, all your faster-than-light drives have a recharge time. And the campaign explains this to you at the start, but not really about, like, how the economics of it work, um, you know, whether or not, like, whether or not that is a fixed cost or how it's going to adjust with uh, how many ships are jumping. It's it's one of those things that it, it kind of addresses really quickly in passing and gives you a really low-cost uh, example and then it moves on, and then later on, once it sort of turns you loose, you're sort of left to oh, you're, you're sort of left to figure out like okay, but now how is this working for real, right? Like outside the context of that tutorial, what are the real trade offs uh, involved here? That's that's one example, uh, and I did have. It is a deeply inscrutable game when it comes to the actual effects the Cylons are having on systems and how they're sort of sliding away from you. And I'm also, to this, like, I am still not clear. Do the Cylons leave, or do they sneak off and go into places where I just haven't detected them? Like, you'll see a Cylon fleet harassing a planet, and then it will disappear. Is it just gone? Is it done its thing? Or is that fleet still, like, in the, air, in the, in the operational area, and I just can't see it? I still don't know. Yeah, I had a Cylon fleet that like I left for a while, and then uh, it seemed to have moved over and uh, attacked me like many, many turns later. Um, and I could tell this because the Cylon ship names are numbered, and I was fight like every new fight I was getting, I was up in the eighties against the Cylons, and then this fleet that I had apparently never dealt with shows up a little bit later, and it's got ships in the twenties, but they're ships in the twenties that I never got to. Like I remember fighting the early twenties Cylons, and I remember fighting the thirty the the thirties ships that they had, but these were the you know mid and late twenties, and I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. I can actually tell that these. These are ships that have been around for a while. Um, I don't know what they were doing in, in between that time, but they uh, it did seem to be... You were like fighting were... the Marie Celeste of the Cylon <laughs> fleet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, th- so that was a neat touch. They are, they, they, they are semi-permanent, except that whenever you fight them, almost every battle is uh, to the death, so you know, you're never going to see them twice. Yeah. Yeah, that is something I, I wish also came through a little bit more. Like, um, in between battles, 
like there's no wounded ship status, right? This is where it does part ways from XCOM. It's kind of winner take all, and if you win the battle, uh, everyone is reloaded, uh, rearmed, and just ready to roll for the next battle on the next turn if need be. And I was a little disappointed that you didn't have more of that um, BSG feeling of having increasingly like debilitated forces having to scrape an effort together one more time to go take on the next engagement. Uh, that's something I would have really enjoyed, but I never had. Uh, no matter how badly I abused my fleets, I never had a case where damage carried over and there were like meaningful, uh, like if there were losses, yeah, obviously those persisted. But if a ship scraped by with one hit point left and no functional subsystems, uh, it was right as rain the next next battle, which was a little a little bit of a missed opportunity, I think, for a cool dynamic that could have really, you know, incentivized winning battles cleanly and like trying harder to uh, to 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 win with tactics rather than occasionally brute forcing it. Yeah, just setting up whatever full squadron of vipers you want in the next battle is—it's uh, just a click a button and here's your squadron, or you have missiles instead. It's not a—you don't have to ever worry about whether you have a full supply of vipers or whatever, which does kind of get away from the BSG fantasy. But again, this is the colonial war, and you're in charge of like the colonial shipyard, so it, it makes sense at a certain level. It just feels a little off. That said, like I think for me, it still it still worked well enough in giving me uh, a reason to go from turn to turn and like giving the campaign a meaningful overarching structure. Um, I thought the research missions tended to be uh, maybe just okay, uh, kind of busts. They're they're these uh, special these these timed objectives that appear on the strategic map. Uh, where you have X number of turns to get to a location and fight a battle there. Uh, that battle was never interesting for me. It was always like, okay, well, here's here's your special engagement. And it was pretty much like any other. I didn't have any really exciting, uh, oh, this feels like a special game event. Didn't have that uh, in this campaign. The missions themselves, I thought, could be a little more interesting, just, I think, because the main campaign missions that do pop up every few turns or so at least tended to introduce new ship classes or give me a slightly larger scale battle, uh, which I appreciated. They would also have like timed jumps where enemies would pop in from a different side yeah. sometimes, uh, that kind of thing that the, the normal missions don't seem to have. Uh, Luke, you got further into it. What did you think about the general missions? Um, yeah, pretty much the same. I was, I was a little disappointed by the, <clears throat> the lack of variety or, or like you said, specialness. Um, to them, it does become a bit of a grind after a while. So sort of very wash, rinse, repeat. Here is my sort of almost a, a total war experience. Here is my fleet. Here are my tactics. I'm going to win this one again, doing the same thing, and then I'm just going to do the same thing over and over again. Not necessarily a brute force victories via strength of numbers, but just, you know, you find a way that wins and you can just, you know, apart from those odd missions where, like you said, uh, you might get some enemies jumping in behind you or, or there's there's a, a slight spanner sort of thrown into things it did get a little bit repetitive but it's hard to tell um whether what you're wanting from those missions stems from this type of game or whether it stems from your knowledge of the source material where you you know you it's like this is Battlestar I want something weird to happen now or something that really pushes the limits of this ship or the universe and when it's, it's really just more of a traditional ship versus ship strategy game so yeah it's, it's tough to tell whether we're just sort of basing those needs on something as Battlestar fans or just something that we, we sort of wanted to see out of it as strategy gamers. Though, I mean, certainly, uh, uh, you, you can never, you can never fully, and I don't think you should, uh, completely divorce theme from like game design, like to an extent, those, those places where it just doesn't feel like Battlestar, uh, quite enough. They do kind of, represent missed opportunities to fully like realize what a Battlestar game could bring to the table. Right. And the, sort of the concepts that a game like this could have animated for us uh, and let us sort of touch, uh, you know, firsthand. But I definitely like do sort of see where, uh, you know, those expectations can be a little bit warping uh, as well. 
as far as the battles themselves go, uh, I, I did enjoy the different uh, ship classes and the fact that it wasn't just... Um, so, like, a problem I have with a lot of Age of Sail games, for instance, uh, and even when you're starting to get into, like, you know, 20th century battleship uh, combat, it does oftentimes just come down to lining up your ship's and you know you're just trying to cross the T, right? You're just trying to bring the biggest broadsides to bear you can uh, against the enemy's weakest arcs, and and that's the entire thing. And sometimes it feels like you've just got parallel lines uh, racing alongside each other because of the different ship classes involved in Battlestar Galactica and the different like arcs and and speeds at which they move. Uh, I found that combat tended to get pretty knotted up and you had big like capital ship fur balls uh, happening that introduced a lot of uh, ship steering and, and ship micromanagement that I uh, really enjoyed and, and kept a lot of battles feeling at least somewhat fresh. Yeah. The movement especially is probably the, the thing that's most key there, I think, because I actually played this game as I was playing Star Wars Armada and found it actually was playing very similar in that it's unlike those games where you will just park the biggest ships next to each other and just fire, is that this constant sense of movement is so important to the strategy that it does become these giant sort of rat king battles where you may have you may build these large battle stars or the, the powerful ships, but it's it really makes the most out of the the capabilities of each different class because they're so quick to move in because they're able to target those specific systems and because the hull and the shields are, uh, are represented in such a way that yeah, it really does make every battle sort of every turn of every battle, but also the way that they evolve more interesting, especially because they. Um, can really throw out those initial plans that you may have going into it because five turns later they might have moved to such a completely different part of you or gotten behind you that it just throws everything out the window. It keeps everything nice and fresh. Uh, one of the things that I think it does uh, especially well for that is that the Cylons will hack your ships and they generally hack the ship that's closest. So um, that ship that's in the lead is going to be the most vulnerable, regardless of whether that ship shouldn't be the most vulnerable. You could have, you know, a, a much stronger ship in that position, but the Cylons are still going to be trying to hack that, and you're going to want to try to move those around, which is a pretty consistent little, I don't know, variety enhancer to uh, the um, how the combat goes. Um in terms of the movement, yes, I think that it's it's good to say that uh, uh, this game is is in many ways about that. But I think it's also worth saying that the movement is actually a really good little interface thing. You just click on the outline of the, where the ship is going to go, which is on the the screen anyway, and then you click which direction you're going, and then which way the ship is facing, and how high or low it's going. So it's just like three clicks and you have done a whole series of interesting tactical decisions and uh it it, it feels really good um even beyond just like is this a functional Battlestar galactica game this is actually a part of the uh uh deadlock that i think is a legit good game interface thing that uh um deserves to be highlighted as that since other parts of the interface are less so but that's much usually more on the strategic side oh yeah it's gonna say it's funny how they they got so many things on the tactical side right and kept it were able to keep it so uh simple and 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 clever and then you turn things over to the strategic side and it's just buttons 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 (laughs) (laughs) buttons everywhere um instead of sort of carrying that intuitiveness over to the other side so whether they were designed by different people or, or what who knows but um yeah, that that is pretty funny to compare the two. Yeah, I even enjoy the fact that like um, the little ghost outline of the ship will turn red if it's going to get in a collision, uh, and and so you're sort of always cued when uh, you know a move is just going to cause some issues, or it's not going to work the way that you think you are, and you're going to have to sort of reshuffle. Uh, how your ships are moving around. The other place this interacts really well with like the uh, you know combat design is that every ship has it has its hit points, but that's like its core hit points that are underneath the armor, and you can only get to those hit points by battering down the armor. And 
I really appreciated that the ships all have like, uh, you know, the front, back, side, side armor, but then also top and bottom, uh, so that you are, you know, if if you're going to have these ships survive a long engagement, and some of these battles do get pretty lengthy. Uh, you're, you know, you'll you'll have uh, a couple different firing passes, and ships are going to get, uh, you know, beat up in different ways. You have to be thinking about what side you're presenting to the enemy and whether or not you can uh, you know, manage to maneuver so that even though your ship is deeply vulnerable, you're going to be like presenting nothing but fresh armor uh, and, and buy yourself those extra several turns uh, sometimes of, of combat. Uh, whereas, you know, from the other side, you're, you're just a, a single shot away from, from being blown to pieces. And that created a lot of, um, really good opportunities for ship maneuvering as well. And, uh, it was a little bit more than I was expecting from a game like this. I do think that it could have used a little more clarity on which parts of the ship are the front and the rear because i have had a bunch of times when i thought that i had turned my side that had full armor to the enemy but no they were still hitting the rear um i also very rarely actually hit the top and bottom armor i'm not sure if i just wasn't using elevation i guess well uh, a lot of your early ships i think have pretty restricted uh, planes of engagement that could be it yeah so, yeah because like if you turn on a a larger battle stars uh firing arcs it's like the sphere of death uh yeah. that exists around the battle star but like your earlier frigates for instance really kind of have to be roughly in a plane uh with their target they're, they're not going to be doing a lot of like firing uh straight up or, or or down at least that's that's how it seems to be working to me like i i've I've seen them sort of ignore targets that are up here within range, but are, uh, you know, significantly north or, south, uh, you know, uh, higher or lower. Uh, those Adamant frigates suck, man. God, I hate those. I was like, I should do research to get to the Battle Stars quickly. And then it was like, here's an option for a frigate that's not the Adamant. And I'm like, fuck Battle Stars. Give me anything but these things. Sorry. Sorry I'm... if this offends the Adamant fans. Manticore all the way. Oh wow! Really? At least in the early game. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I found the Manticore. Okay, so now we're now we're doing this. Now we're getting into the uh, <laughs> just like needlessly granular arguments about uh, specific ships. So one one thing, real quick. You talked earlier, Rowan, about places you can sort of like identify the seams. I think one of those places is that uh, the game definitely does have the Battlestar Galactica look and feel. But they also, or at least the music. Oh, well, the music. The amount of times I had to Google, did Bear McCreary actually compose <laughs> Battlestar Galactica Deadlock? Oh, to me, it sounds nothing like Bear McCreary's score. Well, maybe it oh, sounds dear. like what you what you think or remember Bear McCreary, like at least battle score sounds like. Because once I did it, I found a bunch of other people sort of worrying, hey, did Bear McCreary actually do this? Or is it just someone doing a really good impersonation or a cover of, of actual tracks or whatever a lot a lot of bsg's most memorable music is not the music that that plays the most i don't know if you've listened to the soundtracks on their own rob but yeah. it's it can be it could be a rather jarring thing when you're expecting like a bunch of uh you know fast-paced wailing and instead it's got a totally different type of thing going on yeah, uh, there's definitely like, uh, you know, there's a few places where he's riffing on uh, some Zimmer themes uh, from like um, Black Hawk Down, for instance. But yeah, what I wanted was a little more of that aggressive, percussive, um, you know, th what I associate with Battlestar uh, battle music or what, what the uh, preview of the episode uh, was always accompanied <laughs> by. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, God, I love that shit. Um but I think, for the most part, in terms of like their design for the ships, they were very much like they're they're basically doing a lot of like, well, what would a smaller Battlestar Galactica look like? <laughs> what would what would other warships uh, look like in this world? So you get an early frigate that is basically just like 
a teeny tiny little ba- Battlestar Galactica. It's like the most adorable little thing. Uh, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's basically like they took one of the pods off of Battlestar Galactica and that's the ship now. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of that running through these designs. Uh, so you have all these different ship classes, but to me at least, a lot of them looked like uh, there wasn't necessarily a strong original art direction. There was a lot of like riffing on just remixing elements we've seen uh, a lot before. And maybe that's smart, right? Maybe like... Yeah, I tend to, I tend to, to appreciate that more in, in, a, in a license game. I, I, I realize that there are, you know, identifiable like identification issues with it and things like that. But I sort of tend to prefer when someone approaches a license and does that rather than doing the opposite where you look at, say, some of the older Star Wars games where someone will, will take the liberty of designing their own ships and you've got this jarring experience then where you've got, on the one hand, all this clearly iconic Star Wars imagery and on the other hand, you've got this stuff that looks like it's out of a bad Babylon 5 episode or whatever and they just yeah. don't mesh. And so you, they could have easily run into that problem here where you've got, hey, here's the Galactica, you know, here's a Battlestar, you know what this looks like, here's a Viper, you know what this looks like. Now here's something that looks like it's out of Star Trek, you know, or, or whatever else, and it, it might just sit weird. So I kind of like that they just took that approach of like, well, there's only really, you know, three or four identifiable things from the colonial fleet that most of you will recognize. So let's just mix those around and shrink them and just keep going until we've got 10 or 20 ships that you'll all identify and be able to say, all right, that looks like Battlestar. That's good enough. Okay. First of all, there are no bad Babylon 5 episodes. <laughs> No, that is extremely not true. Um, the thing that I would have liked to have seen, this really became apparent when I did a battle where I fought against Separatists who were using the same ships, uh, would have been more, not necessarily variety in the ship, uh, the ship's structure, but variety in how they're painted, um, just because I had absolutely no ability to tell which ships were mine and which were the enemies when I had, you know, a cluster of eight eight manticores and four adamants all in the same place. Uh, I just had to hope that my ships were going in the right direction and occasionally when things were looking bad, you know, really go in and micromanage to make sure that I was doing the best I could. But it was extremely difficult to tell. And it, it sort of goes to a bigger issue where eventually in the game, um, it, it takes a little while to show up, but eventually you get officers who you can attach to ships. And those are kind of the RPG elements. But those are the it's just the officers who are getting those things the ships themselves are not differentiated beyond their initial class and their co- cost and their name um you don't get any kind of customization or improvement from them uh which uh means that it's just you know i'm losing uh i lost two ships this battle that'll take a little bit to repair it's not i lost these two ships that have been there for me from the beginning of the campaign and have been have a super elite cruise or whatever uh, God, so I would that's, have loved crew upgrades. I would have loved that so much. Yeah, uh, I mean, just just a ship goes up a level and is, you know, slightly better at certain things. Not not choices like Battlefleet Gothic Armada had, where it was like, now your ship can do 0.2% more damage when it fires uh, Marines or whatever. But just, you know, an automatic leveling up system would have been... Uh, a nice thing as well as like if they had a different paint job for each of the 12 colonies you know here's yeah. here's your ship in in yellow here's your ship in brown that, that could something cool. i did really enjoy and I, I noticed it really late uh all your ships have their name painted on them it's such a cool uh, little yeah. detail but like you really notice it once you start fielding bigger ships and you'll like i didn't notice it while i was playing around with them but during like the post battle replays, uh, which are really good, by the way, like uh, really like setting a standard for what a replay of in game action should look like, the the virtual uh, uh, cinematographer and the the the, the virtual uh, director of photography and the virtual editor uh, both do really really good work uh, at times. Uh, but it's just really really cool to like see a Cylon ship just getting shellacked from all sides. And then in the foreground, like a, uh, you know, a Battlestar cruises by with, you know, its name written on the side. And I just, I love that. It felt so authentic to the show. Yeah. I see. I saw that a little bit, but I never actually spent time with the replay. So I will, I will be sure to do that when I go back. 
I thought visually it did it had some nice tricks in their battles to to stay faithful to the show as well. One of the things that really sort of won me over with the game was I was I was playing one of the later story missions and I had some battle stars and you know how you can select so your standard attacks are the your batteries of guns but you can select to fire the missiles and I had the camera zoomed right in and I just had this angle where the, there was a sun behind and I could see some base stars and you hit that button to fire the missiles and they just they make the the sound from the show and they've got the camera that everything visually looks like it and it's just did a really nice job of um just sort of nailing one of the because you know so much of the battle star thing is is these iconically visual things especially in the space battles you got the shaky cam and and that sort of stuff and just seeing that sort of play out um unexpectedly nicely um in the middle of that space battle was really cool so the one of the other things i like in this game is that as new ship classes are introduced, the tactical dynamics further start changing. Like early in the game, uh, the guided missiles were kind of, uh, you know, god tier weapons. Uh, you know, they didn't do a ton of damage, but it was, you know, it's like an, at a low level D&D party, magic missiles, a pretty damn useful spell. Uh, and that's basically what your ships have. And when you have a bunch of like those Corvettes, for instance, uh, which are pretty squishy, but they're very maneuverable. Um, and they can do a lot of like shoot and scoot attacks, firing barrages of missiles. Um, early on, that is a really effective way to quickly overpower targets and uh you know knock enemy ships out pretty early in an engagement they'll try to do the same to you uh but they and actually i even noticed i was surprised the ai does seem to focus fire uh pretty effectively like they will send a lot of missiles at one target rather than scatter them among several uh which was a pretty effective and, and smart way to plan it I liked seeing that. Uh, but anyway, so early on, those missiles are a really difficult thing to deal with. Um, torpedoes, less so. Uh, I found those pretty uh, easy to dodge until you start getting larger ships that uh, can't quite turn on a dime. But what's introduced to deal with that is like you have ships with like flak batteries and such. And suddenly, now having ships sort of sitting within the protective umbrella uh, of a Battlestar becomes a valuable thing like now your what, what a formation looks like starts to change and how you want to fight uh, starts to change especially because as in the show and this is a good use of theme flak is the most double-edged oh, of double-edged swords i lost so many vipers till i worked out how to use the flak batteries properly <laughs> they are devas like i thought like i was a little casual about it at first i was like well, if I know anything from the show, like, you know, you, you might take a few hits, but like most of them will be fine. I'm sure this'll this'll work. Uh no, if there are fighters in the flat cloud, uh you're basically gonna vaporize your own fighter cover. Uh but it's a hell of a way to go. Uh the, the, the flat batteries in in uh Deadlock uh look pretty amazing and it is really cool to see just that like fiery wall of uh, you know, Flat, uh, flat gunfire just taking out incoming fighters and uh you know you know sort of intercepting missiles that was great i think we could just bask in rob's love of flat yeah i'm just thinking about the <laughs> it just looks it's like i was saying before just that that visual um throwback to the show where you get those images where the base styles will launch missiles and they sit and they sit and then you see the galactica fire the flak and it looks just like it and it's like it just looks so good <laughs> except for the first two or three times you do it and you just automatically assume oh it's a strategy game it'll attack the enemy units my guys will fly straight through it and then you lose an entire viper squadron and you just think oh well i need to be a lot more careful with this than i have been yeah it is um it is pretty dramatic to to see them engage I did find that um, fighters like looked cool zipping around, and they were responsible for a lot of great like uh, camera angles in the post-battle replays. But for me, at least, it kind of felt like it was a capital ship engagement game, and fighters just happened to be there. But like, I rarely felt the aspect of Battlestar Galactica that's always been a bit like uh, World War II to Vietnam era like carrier operations. Um, I never really felt like there were sort of any like battle of midway uh, type stakes for, for my fighter engagements. Like the fighters always seem to be off doing their own thing and like having a lot of fun. But 
I very rarely felt like the fighters were actually a make or break uh, asset for me. Uh, but I'm curious, maybe I just haven't seen some later game stuff that really demands uh, heavy fighter cover. Uh, Luke, did, did you find that the fighters became more interesting assets as the game continued? I tended to use the fighters initially mostly just as interceptors. Um, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't find them to be that useful um, as sort of strike weapons. And so I just used them mainly. I'd have them sort of docked or hanging around the, my larger ships and then send them out to, to intercept any sort of smaller silent ships approaching. What I did find them useful for, if that wasn't a threat or if my flak could deal with enemy fighters, they were very useful for harassing. Um, the AI is very good at the smaller ships especially is when you can whittle down their hull in one particular area, the AI is very good at turning that area away from you and running away, sort of yeah. negating that um, that damage. Um, if they leg it away from your main fleet, it's not worth disengaging forces from your sort of the main battle to go and chase them. I've found it very useful to actually just send Vipers after them to harass them if they were smaller ships because they could come at them from all areas. And it might take a very long time, but it's sort of an out of sight, out of mind part of the battle where it's all right this guy's running away um i don't want the the sort of tedious cleanup job of having to chase down a single little frigate at the end of the battle um i'll send a, a squadron or two of vipers after them and they can spend five minutes chipping away back at their shields again they can take care of it and i can sort of focus my efforts more on that capital ship versus capital ship side of things yeah and uh when the enemy is trying to do that to you you can use your vipers to take out their fighters who are uh trying to go harass your wobbly little frigate uh, yeah they're very much a peripheral do, thing though they're sort of a, a sort of sprinkling on top kind of element of the game they're not you know they're very rarely they sort of key to your tactics or strategy going into a, a battle that's mostly about battle stars and, and base stars yeah the, the thing that I think uh, I think that they serve as one of those scenes that I was talking about where if you think about it too long you think oh yeah there could have been a lot more done with how the fighters are behaving in this because they, they're just sort of like they function as tiny capital ships like they don't they don't break and get out of formation or anything you don't have like these mass uh, fighter fights like you did in the sh the, some of the episodes of the show um, yeah they're like little clouds of fireflies uh, sort of yeah. like yeah and that cloud represents one fighter squadron unit and yeah it, it does behave like a capital ship uh, which is probably critical for like coherence I suppose it's critical for how yeah, fun it I, is to go into a video game and have a giant button saying launch vipers and you can press it oh God, yes. and zoom the camera right in and see them all come out and then you can just track them for the first nine or ten times I did it you know, I know there are swarm of fireflies in the, the grand scheme of things, but I just locked the camera right in behind them and just watched them go. Cause <laughs> it, was, it was so cool. But yes, after that, when you get tired of that eventually, yeah, they're a peripheral thing. But those first few times, man, a button that just says launch vipers is so good. I did, uh, yeah, that seeing that button was immediately like, all right, this is this is what I've been waiting for, right? Like, yes, launch the alert fighters. Uh, that's, that's what I'm here to do. Um, I guess one thing that I probably could have used them a little more, because I, I did notice this starting to happen uh, with my ships at least a little bit. Um, it does sort of seem like, in general, your ships will pick a target and focus on it. You can also do focus fire, uh, which really t like puts all their gunfire on one target to the exclusion of maybe using all their firing arcs. Uh, but something I did notice that was happening a little bit with enemy fighters as they came in is that they were drawing a lot of early fire from my ships uh, and that fire would like continue to track even when better targets were entering range. So I suppose maybe something that maybe the fighters are there to do is just play games with sort of drawing fire and making it difficult for ships to... Uh, pick out the the better targets at least in those early stages uh but it was it was definitely something i i noticed happening from time to time and actually there were a couple battles where it definitely felt like a few of my ships were just straight up ignoring my focus fire orders like turn after turn i was like no i like no you're supposed to be firing at that at that other carrier why aren't you you firing at that 
uh, and I'd check two or three times. I'd, I'd pick the right target, and then the next move, I would watch my ship continue to shell the completely undamaged ship that was in range, uh, rather than the one that was like teetering and was swiftly passing uh, out of the firing arc. Uh, one of the things that I have had some confusion with is how the subsystems interact. Like, I didn't remember exactly what all they did on the tutorial, and sometimes my ships weren't firing. Um, and sometimes, like, like why am I worried about my hangar when I've already launched my Vipers? Just the subsystems seems like a neat idea that could have used a little bit more to it. Yeah, I didn't... So the subsystems um, became mostly an issue if I'd let just rampant Cylon hacking uh, go completely unchallenged, uh, at which point, like, large amounts of a ship would basically be shut down and unable to function, uh, which is pretty impressive. Like, you can literally have your... Uh, have a pretty much undamaged ship uh, bricked in the same way that the Colonial Fleet is in the pilot episodes of BSG, uh, and that was certainly a case where, you know, having to issue the repair order and stop everything and deal with that uh, became pressing. But, yeah, I felt like I was able to shrug off a lot of those subsystem effects until it started to hit one or two of the subsystems that I really needed. Like, when fire control goes... Uh, that ship is basically spent as a combat force. Uh, but until then, if I'm in the fight, uh, I'm not really going to bother about much of the subsystem uh, stuff. It felt like it felt like the game wanted me to manage this a little more than than I actually had to. Right? You could change postures and like give buffs to subsystems and things like that, depending on what commanders you had. It affected subsystems, but I never really, I could never really feel or sense intuitively the impact all of that was happening it was having except for those one or two occasions where uh something really dire uh changed uh luke did you ever did, did you ever like uh get at did you ever like figure out what what that was getting at no because i i rarely use them um i kind of feel like the subsystems are i feel like the the tactical side of the game is almost pulling in two directions i feel in some ways they wanted the game to be a, a fleet management game where you're controlling these epic space battles and on the other hand there's these elements to it where they want you to burrow down and, and give these specific individual controls to each ship and it you can't you can't really do both I, I didn't have the the interest or the patience to to devote that amount of individual control to the amount of ships that I had at my control so I I, I found myself usually issuing basic commands and postures you know, things like focus fire and, and, and changing the, the type of weapon I was using and things like that from the main ships, but very rarely going into those subsystems because I just felt like I just don't want to do this for every single ship I've got right now, especially later on as you sort of, you know, because like you said, with each story mission, you start going from two ships to three ships to four ships under your control. Um, I would have liked that element of, con of, of specific control if it was a game about one ship or two ships um but i just yeah it was a bit too much um fine tuning for the scale of the battles as the game went on for me so yeah. we're, go on ron i mean i was just going to say that's kind of what did in battlestar gothic armada for me was that i it seemed to want me to micromanage my ships at a level that went against the idea of these massive warhammer battles that uh the game never really resolved where this game i think does resolve it it's it's about the big battles and it's significantly better at that and, and there's also some substuff and subsystem stuff that you can get into if you want but it's not quite uh it's not quite a fully functional system within yeah i never felt one. like i was being punished for not using it so maybe that's it maybe it's just there if you want to use it and if you don't want to use it that's fine you, it's not going to break the game for you it's just if, if you really want to burrow down that deep it's there for you uh that's the sort of thing that I feel like a sequel or a significant update might be uh, uh, well served in making more clear. There's a fair amount of that with this, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so where are we at in the end with this game? Like for me, it's definitely benefiting from some of those lowered expectations. Like 
I'm I'm approaching this game as what a pleasant surprise. Uh, this is delightful. Uh, but but I'm curious, like you know, when it comes to making recommendations, like uh, where where do you come down with the, with uh, with Deadlock? I mean, I think if if someone says I want to play a Battlestar Galactica strategy game, this is a functional in many ways good, in a few ways confusing Battlestar Galactica strategy game. And I'm I'm at the point, and I've been at this point for a while, where I am happy just saying, yes, a license is a strength if it's used well, and it's used very well here, I think. Um, this is a game that probably wouldn't exist without that license, and I don't think it it arguably probably shouldn't exist without that license, but given all that, given that it is a good license, um, this is well worth that idea. I'm not going to necessarily recommend it above an XCOM 2 or whatever, since it's sort of in that strategy tactics genre, but uh, if someone specifically wants BSG space combat, or even just kind of space combat in general, although it seems difficult for me to believe that someone might be interested in that without ever having watched BSG. Uh, yeah. This, is, this, this works. It does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've recommended to a lot of people and I've had two almost identical responses is some people who are just Battlestar Galactica fans, but, you know, and may just play the odd PC game or strategy game like, you know, they're on a civilization XCOM level. I've recommended it to them and they've been, oh, yeah, this is okay. <laughs> and, and they're clearly struggling with the 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 presentation and the budget involved and, and the campaign design and, and that sort of stuff. The other people I've recommended to like Battlestar Galactica, but also, you know, the people I've played Star Wars Armada with or who have played other um, board games or video games of this nature, and they've lost their minds over it because they've been sort of like us where they're expecting this competent strategy game and they've actually found a pretty good strategy game that also happens to make a surprisingly good use of a license considering the amount of money and, and the budget involved. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't have too much to add to that. Like for me, Battlestar Galactica is one of my favorite sci-fi shows ever. Um, I have like, you know, I've probably watched uh, the the assault on uh, New Caprica uh, <laughs> <laughs> several times. Uh, I have seen uh, the, the the attack on the resurrection ship uh, quite a few times. Like I love that series. I love the look and feel of combat there. And this game delivered that in spades. Um, and I, I, I think the thing that is going to frustrate me more is that I would bet you we're not going to see a sequel. Like, I would bet you this is all we get. Uh, and that's cool. But there's enough here that I would really love to see what the revised, like, 2.0 design of this game would look like. Uh, based on the groundwork that's laid here, I suspect we won't get a chance to see that. Uh, but you know, this is a fun game that is also a really strong start, a promising beginning. Uh, but I think all we're going to get is this pretty fun game that uses a license really, really well. Uh, and that's enough. That's enough for me to unreservedly recommend it to fans of the series. Uh, but man, do I feel like you know another another go round with this uh, could create something really special. You, you could maybe, I think, fingers crossed, hope that Slytherin gives them like a, a 2.0 version where they do a kind of big game of the year or, you know, whatever, uh, final version relaunch that gets a lot of attention. Because I think this has been slowly getting attention and Luke is a big part of that. Uh, but I think it could use uh, it could use a little more oomph and we're, we're giving it our best here, but... Uh, yeah, it feels yeah. like it's a it's a casualty of the of the publisher in a way. Um, you know, Slytherin release a, a lot of great games that people who listen to this podcast may be very familiar with and play. But in terms of getting that wider awareness and recognition, you know, even even with a license like Battlestar Galactica, it's obviously been very difficult for them to break through that sort of genre glass ceiling and sort of be able to show everybody, hey, there's a Battlestar Galactica game and it's not terrible. Do you like Battlestar Galactica and video games? Maybe you could play this. Yeah, I mean, it's awkward when you're already beginning from the point of like, first, do you remember Battlestar Galactica? I think that's the <laughs> that's the other issue uh, this one faces, but nevertheless, it uh, it overcomes it. 
and uh, I do hope it, it it finds I do hope it finds an audience. More importantly, I hope that the Battlestar Galactica fans that have sort of been looking for a good game that isn't that uh, brutal uh, traitor game on on the tabletop. <laughs> like, hey, if you want a Battlestar Galactica game that doesn't like poison your relationships with your friends, uh, this is it. Uh, they finally cracked the code. Uh, who's the Cylon? Those guys. None of us. That's that's the magic of, of Deadlock. All right, uh, that will do it for this week. We'll be back with next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, listen, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Luke, real real quick, uh, where are there any notable websites uh, you work at where where uh, listeners can can find your work? And uh, is there anything that's sort of on your strategic radar uh, at present? Uh, you can visit a niche uh, snack food and cosplay website called www.kotaku.com. That's k-o-t-a-k-u.com. Um, in terms of strategy games, not much. It's a bit of a slow um, time of year. I'm kind of just hanging up for for. Um, Warhammer 2. Yeah, I finally just got code for that. Uh, I need to carve out space on my hard drive to actually install it. Uh, when I bought the SSD for my for my game drive, uh, I thought, surely this this will this will last a while. I won't ever have to worry about swapping games on and off. Uh, it lasted uh, maybe six months. and and now I'm, now I'm doing the dance of, okay, which of these has cloud saves? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I made the mistake of going back and playing a lot of the recently released expansion stuff for Warhammer, like the Norska yeah. and Bretonnia and, and things like that. And uh, to my dismay, found they were all really excellent. And so I played them all to death. And so now I'm sitting here, you know, I, I had been mildly interested in catching up on Warhammer 2, and now I'm kind of dying for it. So um, <laughs> that's a bit of a problem for me, considering the release schedule ahead in terms of every other genre for holiday coverage. Yeah. All right, well, uh, look forward to seeing how the uh, season unfolds for, for us strategy gamers and uh, see, seeing more coverage over at Kotaku. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of 3MA. Until then, for Rowan and Luke, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.